0: Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Button, former factory supercross rider I'm pretty sure I can play hockey better than Brad, and certainly Probably better than he does this show Hope you enjoy it, we'll see you soon
1: You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast Brought to you by Arma Energy Presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels Bill's Pipes. Just one helmets. X brand goggles. Shades of gray custom helmet painting. Rhino Power Sports Supplements. Roy Borden suspension, lots of perfections, and golden tire. Simply the best, Motocross and Supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gethart. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink, Big MX. Radio podcast show brought to you by Fly Racing, X Brand Goggles, Moto Ice, Moto Wrap, Motul, Just One Helmets, Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, and of course, Roy Borden Suspension Systems. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, number 132 in your program, number one in your hearts, Billy Leninovich. Billy, how's it going? I'm doing good, just hanging
2: out here in Florida.
1: Down in Florida, where uh, where Bike Week comes to call, and uh, every single year it's a place to be. And uh, and and you're there. You're down there. Uh, judging by your uh, your social media, uh, you've gotten an invitation and accepted it to uh, head down to the Baker's Factory to uh, uh, help uh, some of your riders spin some laps.
2: Yeah, well, I, we came out with Alex um, to go to Atlanta Supercross. Yeah. So him and his dad uh, wanted me to come out there and. Just kind of talk them through it all. It's, it's very stressful, and there's a lot of pressure, and just try to keep them in the right frame of mind. And so um, we did that, and then I came up with the idea that we should stay in Florida while we're here and get ready for for Daytona. And so Daytona is one of the gnarliest tracks that anybody could ever ride, being a supercross track and pretty much an outdoor track.
1: Yeah.
2: So the dirt, they got five different dirts there, and <laughs> So Tyler Keith, the team manager of Toyota Design, knows Elden Baker very well, and he got that connection to get us out there and do some riding, and, man, it couldn't be any better of riding getting ready for Daytona. The track is awesome. He gets to ride with Dungey, Anderson, and um, Musquin, and all those guys. So Justin Hill, so he's uh, definitely got an edge on it right now rather than being in California riding, trying to get ready for it.
1: Absolutely, a little bit of a uh, an old school approach to uh, to racing Daytona, as uh, I know a lot of guys used to either drive the series or uh, when it did go to Florida, guys would stay at each other's houses and put some time in. Being the fact that, uh, like you said, Daytona completely different than any other Supercross, although most would admit that uh, nowadays it's a little bit more Supercrossy than maybe uh, like even five or six years uh, previous, but uh, still a very a different uh, monster in and of itself, and um, hopefully uh, Alex was able to do his best impression of a sponge and uh and it'll show come saturday night
2: oh yeah he uh he's comfortable get him here acclimated to the weather and the time change that we have and just trying to get him as comfortable as possible um being in a professional level it's it's tough it's not easy it's one of the hardest sports in the world uh, mentally and physically so I thought if we can get out here and do this, that would give him a little bit of an edge to be um, comfortable and so excited about, he's been riding very, very good out here. Even two weeks before Supercross, he had made a step up in his whole program and, and then went to Atlanta. I didn't expect him to finish in the top 10. I knew he could, but being his first race, I just figured go out there and just finish, stay healthy, and he blew my mind. And now we're coming out here riding with, um, at the Baker factory and he stepped it up another level this week. So I think he's building his confidence up and, uh, I'm a, I'm really excited for him to, to uh, race Daytona.
1: Totally agree. And a- after a uh, an up and down outdoor season this last year, uh, many people had questions as to what uh, Alex was going to be bringing to the table once the, the series went east. And like, um, what was the kid's mindset coming off of a? Uh, uh, I think even even he would say a, a disappointing outdoor season. Um, in preparing for uh, for Supercross, the first first Supercross season that anyone's going to enter is uh, is a little bit nerve wracking. Uh, I'm sure it was the same for you back in the day.
2: Oh man, I didn't qualify for my first two Supercrosses, and, and talking with Alex, like he was scared. He, he was, he was really nervous. And I remember that same feeling. I never, I never had that pressure or feeling that I had my first couple Supercrosses super crosses before when I was racing amateurs. And I asked him that too. And I'm like, did you ever have that feeling before? And he said, no. And so it's, it's hard. So I just try to keep him in the right frame of mind, trying to get him thinking about the right stuff and, um, just told him, Hey, go have fun, go put yourself in a good position, get a good start. And, uh, and that's what he did. And he come a long ways. I've been working with them since beginning of October. They actually moved in with me. Oh, wow. So we've been working for together for five months and, um, and he definitely come a long, long ways from when he first started because he, he did arena cross. I think a few arena crosses and, uh, last year to get his points and not sure. I don't think it went too well. I think he had a couple big crashes and so he was a little, a little nervous, but I think what was hurting him was some of his technique on the bike was causing him to, to crash like that. So we put in a lot of work the last five months and he's looking good. I'm very proud of him. He's a hard worker, harder than hard works harder than anyone else that I know of. So he wants it. He's dedicated, and that kid is focused.
1: Well, part of uh, part of having the skill set that you possess, uh, I, I'm sure, as uh, the the twilight of your career uh, approached, uh, you saw the opportunity to uh, to pass on your knowledge to uh, to the next generation of kids. Um, uh, and everyone's different. Uh, when you ha- you come to a kid like Alex, was it uh, as soon as you saw the kid ride? Was there a a, a few glaring things? You know, like, like almost like stepping immediately. I know how to fix this. Uh, or uh, or was it more of a uh, deconstructor rider? Put it back together uh, the the best way you know how.
2: No, I mean any professional motorcycle knows how to ride a dirt bike. Uh, their technique might not be on point. Yeah. So with Alex, kid was fast. Um, a little out of control at times. So we just worked on a bunch of technique stuff and, and tried to minimize his mistakes because he can make a mistake or anyone can make a bunch of mistakes and lose 15, 20 seconds in a race in a 15 lap moto. So we really worked on minimizing those mistakes and being more consistent. And, um, I think that's why he did what he did at Atlanta. Came in ninth. I mean, he—that was probably his best 15 or 20 lap moto he's done. Period. He was so consistent and smooth. So, and that's what it's all about: being consistent, just like Dungey. Dungey's aggressive, but he's very smooth, and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes.
1: Well, that that uh, brings up one of the things that I wanted to touch on. That was uh, after the commercial break, but you mentioned him already. as uh, Ryan Dunphy a guy that uh, you've seen uh, come up from from a B rider entering the the pros to eventually uh, doing some uh, some East Coast rounds um, with Supercross back when you were on the uh, MDK. Uh, f- KTM. Um, when you first saw uh, Ryan Dungey racing those uh, select rounds on a 450, um, did you do you see any glimpses of what would become? Uh, as uh, you definitely saw this last week um, at the Baker's Factory.
2: Uh, no, obviously not. I wasn't thinking about Dungey. Um, actually, I think his first year he came in. We raced uh, East Coast together in 2007. Okay, yeah. He either started in 2006, or, I think it's 2006, and then we raced together in 2007 yeah so right now i'm kind of a fan looking in back then i was racing so yeah, i wasn't competitor. focused on him. i care less about him back then so <laughs> yeah but yeah the guy is phenomenal and he's had a lot of good stuff happen he's stayed healthy is pretty much his whole career and that's huge when you yeah. get hurt um keep getting hurt and hurt and hurt it it does something to you so he was able to – I think he's only had one injury called, maybe. And he's got a strong base. He's able to be able to train year in and year out and build a base. That's why he's so fit on a bike. And uh, and then he's just naturally talented, and he's got a very, very smooth style. And he, and this year – or last year, I think it was this year or last year, you, we really saw the aggression out of him because he wouldn't really – off anybody in the corners. if you try to get around him clean and now you see him put it into the inside of those guys and he's super aggressive
1: well after all those years of building up that base as you mentioned I feel like you'd be you'd feel more comfortable being more aggressive uh, because uh, like you said you, you've got that comfort zone and um, like Dungy's uh, drafting off of um, years of of building up that base and building up uh, confidence yep. on the motorcycle. Whereas a guy like um, even honestly a guy like yourself throughout your career, I um, I venture to guess I don't know if you ever had more than eight or nine months of of solid run up to uh, of any series.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I pretty much got. I uh, had a knee injury, just about, well, I've had four knee injuries and uh, ACL reconstruction, so I I think I finished 05. was my, the only season I ever was able to finish. And so, and injuries suck, man. It takes yeah. a lot out of you, and you start from zero. You can't keep building, 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 and get hurt and go back to zero, and then you're starting all over again where Dungy has been able to build every single year.
1: Fair enough. No, so um, one of the things that I wanted to ask was uh, about these these kids that come out of uh, uh, training facilities. Uh, we see the videos, we see the uh, the segments where these kids got. Like video game style tracks and they've got video game style speed but the thing is in a video game when you hit the ground your guy pops up back, uh, and goes fast as ever um, but um, you see more and more of these kids coming out of the amateurs that uh, they've got this these this video game style uh, speed but uh, they hit the ground and they don't pop back up uh, after too many. Um, as a as an educator of motocross uh what role do you play in kind of grabbing a few of these kids and uh and, and cleaning up the technique before uh they turn themselves into uh um a laundry list of injuries
2: yeah uh well it's not really me picking them up it's them coming to me i've yeah. never actually gone to a rider um actually i did that with matt i went to him up to the thing and um I just said, hey, man, if you need any help, and he's like, yeah, I would love it. So that was actually the first rider I've ever gone to. But other than that, all the other riders have always come to me for it. But it plays a huge part. Um, I think those training facilities are good because they're riding with a bunch of good riders. But they don't have good coaches there. Um, So I think technique could help a rider more than going to a facility which I hopefully one day will have my own facility in California that's my plan but okay we'll see where that goes <laughs>
1: well as far as the, the the facilities go I see volume and it's it's you see Tons of riding, and regardless, like uh, if you put in X number of hours on a bike, you will get like you, you'll get the comfort level to go X amount fast. But uh, whether or not you have the uh, the experience and the knowledge to uh, like save it when needed, and um, you you know what I mean? Like there's 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 kids literally that I've talked to that. Like eighteen months ago, were like to, on an eighty in the B class, or like like getting getting lapped, and all of a sudden they just put in tons of time. They're on a two fifty F aluminum frame, uh, fuel injected, and uh, they're hucking supercross triples. And I'm like, is that is that is that too steep of a curve? And are, you know what I mean?
2: Um,
1: no, not necessarily.
2: Uh, it seems like everyone's starting to ride supercross a little bit earlier. I remember when I was on eighties. Um, Mike Craig had had a supercross track built in Ramona and I used to ride there on eighties. And I think that probably helped me a, a, quite a bit with my timing and, mm-hmm. and jumping and stuff. So I don't think it's too early that they're riding or whatever, but, um, it's all experience. It's just riding time, but you got to be smart about it too. You don't want to go out there and ride for five hours and burn five gallons of gas every day because. You've got to put the work in off the bike too. You've got the gym, cycling, mountain biking, swimming, whatever else you're doing off the bike. So you've got to be really smart on that. You can't go out and push it as hard as you can every day, or you're just going to wear your body down and you're going to go backwards.
1: Couldn't agree more. So uh, l- l- let's talk a little bit about uh, Matt Basheli, a guy who uh, um, last year with, uh, he's with Geico, I believe, correct? Yep. No, oh, Geico. Yeah, Geico, yep. uh, and and now with with his uh, the brand new Suzuki team making that that switch over to that team and uh, and honestly uh, showing some great speed uh, moving up towards the uh, the East Coast. Um, when you approached him, uh, what were some of the the, the most glaring uh, issues that he had with either technique or uh, getting around the racetrack where you were able to kind of open his eyes to?
2: Um, I think the biggest thing was his throttle control through the corners Matt really likes to just dump the clutch and get on the gas hard where I like to carry my momentum into the corners and through it that way I don't have to get on the gas so hard kind of like a dungeon style
1: really yeah. smooth two strokes and done. so
2: yeah yeah and uh, so that's what I had to work on with Matt and dude there's so many things staying over the front of the bike in the corners um, looking ahead keeping your elbows up, there's a lot of things. So, But I think the most thing with Matt was just carrying that momentum into the corners and keeping that momentum going forward instead of stopping and going, stopping and going. Every time you stop in a corner, you just lost a quarter of a second, half a second, or whatever it
1: is uh of the things that you just listed uh, is there something that uh you yourself uh had to work on uh all the time while you're doing uh, well during your professional career maybe even something that you still are having to uh, remind yourself to do because uh for my money I don't know too many people that uh, have like the uh the skill and kind of uh, effortlessness uh, on the motorcycle um Proof in the fact that uh, I believe your your final full year of, of racing was 2011? 12. 12. And, uh, and four years later, uh, you're still featured in uh, in Moto7, given giving your own uh, segment. Uh, given the fact that that just tells me that people like to see uh, Lana watch, uh, ride a motorcycle.
2: <laughs> yeah. What is it that you worked um, on? So I think my biggest thing that I struggled with was looking ahead. Um, even today, I have to focus so much on getting in that corner and getting my head up and looking, coming out of that corner. So then that helps with momentum, too, because if you got your head up and you're looking, then you know if the rut's blown out or if it's got a hook in it or, or whatnot. You can... Fix it before you get there. You don't just hit it and blow the corner or pop out of the rut or whatever. So looking ahead plays a big part in your momentum in the corners. And that's what I struggled with my whole career.
1: Fair enough. Now, uh, uh, switching gears to uh, a Canadian kid that came down looking for some help, Uh, Dylan Wright um, is um, kind of uh, the... For most for most people to say, it would be the uh, the heir apparent to uh, the the Canadian crown. He's a young kid, super fast, really talented, uh, subscribes mm-hmm. to the Canadian uh, tradition of only racing 10 weekends a year, which to me is uh, a little bit of mind-boggling. But uh, um, nevertheless, came down and, uh, and, and was showing some serious speed.
2: Yeah, no, Dylan, I actually met Dylan for the first time. I went up to Canada and worked with a kid in 2010. And Dylan was just riding Husky 125s back then.
1: Nice. I think he was only
2: 14 nice. years old. And so that was the first time that I met Dylan and his dad. And and we kind of stayed in contact a little bit through those years. And I hadn't really talked to him or heard much about Dylan. And his dad contacted me a few months ago and asked if, um, if I had time to work with him. And I said, yeah. And so the, the first time that I saw him ride, I was shocked. I couldn't believe how fast he was, so I to talking with him and asked him how he did at the Canadian Nationals, and I think he said he got some podiums. And So the kid's a great rider, very good, he's talented, and he works hard, and I think he's got a good career if he can stay healthy and go out this year, get some results, maybe come out and do some American races and hopefully get a ride. I know that's his goal, to, to get a ride out here and start riding Supercross and Outdoors.
1: Yeah, following the footsteps of uh, of JSR or even more uh, more recently Cole Thompson, a kid who's uh shown some serious speed out of Ontario and uh and doing well on the West Coast.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Dylan if he um goes out gets some confidence, I think he can I think he can be in the top three in the championship and uh if he can come out here and put in some top ten results, I think he'll open some eyes and I think he will he's going to be a good rider one day, very good rider here in the States.
1: Right on. Well, uh, we're going to co- go to commercial here on the Big MX Radio Podcast sh- show brought to you by Bill's Pipes, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, 250 East Supercross as well as uh, a couple more questions I had for the great Billy Lindenovich. We'll be right back.
0: Yo, what up? It's the 7 Deuce Deuce. You're on Big MX Radio. Get the commercials.
1: If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat absorbing liner, and generous eyePort design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a... That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of amigos for extreme kids like us. Man, but more than bikes, what big and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today and go check them out. You won't be disappointed. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's dot acom right now, and check out the Custom Wheel Builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. And I want you guys in a set of W Wheels. So do what I did and head to ubyausa.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance.
0: Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone-look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to Billspipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Linovich, Vicky Golden, JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bills Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bills Pipes and never settle. Yo, this is the 7 Deuce Deuce. If you don't listen to Big NX Radio, then
1: you. And we're back. Big MX radio podcast show brought to you by Fly Racing, still on the line with Billy Leninovich. And, uh, Billy, uh, just as a quick question, uh, as far as uh, your Kawasaki is concerned, I'm not too sure if there's uh, there's a, a more, ni- more nicely appointed motorcycle uh, in the pits than yours when it comes to uh, um, <laughs> going out. And um, this summer, more than any, we've had a lot of rain in the hills. Have you been able to uh, get that thing uncorked at all?
2: Oh, man, I haven't. I haven't been doing really any riding. uh, past the past month. I've ridden three times, um, I have one. a brand new 2016 that I, yeah, I know that I got, um, from, um, Escondido cycle Center, and the, I got it in I think August and I yes. have, I think five hours on the bike. So I've honestly haven't been getting out and riding. I've been so busy training and stuff that I've been more focused on that. And two, I didn't have the desire to ride, but. Um, last month I had a desire, got out a few times and really looking forward to getting home and getting back on my bike.
1: No doubt. Uh, it's, and, uh, keeping, uh, on, in the theme of, uh, team, uh, ECC, um, did you ever look across the pits to those, uh, those ECC Suzuki's and be like, those are some nice looking motorcycles.
2: <laughs> back in the day when I used to, or when they rode one twenty five, Yeah. Is that what you, oh
1: yeah. Yeah. They, they
2: used were to sweet. have that honey on there and. Oh yeah, I think Mike Craig rode for that team. You're right. They had some good-looking bikes back in the day. Yep.
1: Yes, they did. And uh, but but uh, honestly, uh, I don't see too much compared to the silver uh, front fender of the uh, of the Red Bull KTMs.
2: Those are sweet. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those are sweet.
2: Yep. Yep, that was uh it was a it was a fun bike. It didn't handle well, but it <laughs> was really fast.
1: <laughs> those uh, well, like uh, the those bikes inspired a local shop to uh, have theirs uh, their bikes uh, look very similar. They went even as far to uh, go with blue handguards, which were complete uh, 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 kind of completed the look. But uh, um, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, Lano MX and um, kind of like uh, the evolution of it. Uh, I see now that you've uh, you've. You've been working with uh, for, with Lano, or you've been you have been Lano MX for about uh, well about four or five years now. Um, but uh, you, you've you've been recently working with a lot more pro riders and uh, and bringing that element, uh, bringing some cool elements to their game. Um, what's with the switch, and uh, how did, how do you develop it going forward?
2: Um, you know, I think it's just getting a rider and or having a good rider to show potential and to see what I can do with the rider. Um, I think any good athlete at whatever they do, basketball, baseball, they all have a coach. And so, um, and I think that too is very important for these riders that do hire coaches, that they get somebody that has been there and done that. There's a lot of coaches out there that were mid pack, intermediate riders or decent intermediate riders that never made it to the pro. So how do they expect them to teach them how to make it when they could not do it themselves? Yeah. And so um, the switch to the pros, it wasn't my fault. Those guys came to me. Um, Actually, with Alex, it wasn't even meant for us to work out. I had a buddy, Tyler Klesiak. who's a personal trainer. His dad called Tyler and asked Tyler if um, he knew anyone with an extra room to live at. And I said, yeah, we met. And he's like, would you be interested in working with my uh, my son? And I said, yeah. So that's how that all got started. Um, Oh, wow, okay. I would love to work with more pros. Uh, that's, that's what I like to do. And so, um, yeah.
1: Well, obviously, uh, like a guy, especially a guy like, uh, Matt Bishalia, who, uh, originally the Geico team, like the, a team that, uh, you rode for, uh, uh, for, for many years is, is a top flight team. Um, I guess one of your goals would be to, uh, to get him to the point where he's back on a program like that. Yes, no.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Matt. Matt's been, Matt's been working really hard. Unfortunately, he broke his collarbone twice in the off-season. And um, the second one, yeah, yep. <laughs> um, it's, he was riding so good before this. But he started riding nine days after surgery, and he's just getting back into the swings. And after last weekend, he was really beating himself up. And I'm like, hey, look, dude, you just started riding a bike again. I said, you are racing yourself into shape. And so – and that. That, too, coming from my experience, I've been through it. I know how it is when you don't do good. And so I just try to get these guys thinking about the right stuff and just get back to work when they uh, the next week and just keep plugging away. Don't ever give up. Keep on working. And uh, if you do that, the results will come
1: so much of this is the mental game. Uh, I've often said that uh, motocross races are a fickle bunch of uh, tropical fish. So when it comes to uh, track walk, and you're, you're heading out there with Alex, who I'm sure is uh, a, a tad gun-shy to the fact that it's his first Supercross, uh, how do you walk him through that and kind of uh, give a, uh, a veteran's point of view to a few of the obstacles and uh, help him make sense of things?
2: Yeah, I mean, we just do track walk, and we uh... – talk about lines talk about um, passing areas um, can talk a lot about technique for him he he really likes to ride over the front of the bike and sometimes it bites them and throws them over the bars and so with the pros they know how to ride it's just little reminders to get them thinking about the right stuff and so with Alex it's like hey you got to stay back in the whoops you can't let your body go forward and drop that front end and I think that's what's really helped Alex is um, his technique and and all that so during track walk we just walk the track and talk about it talk about line selection talk about the whoops and um, all that stuff so it worked out this weekend you did a good job
1: so uh, one of the things that like some of the guys were complaining about this year or this uh, this last weekend was that uh, the whoops, the first, especially the first set that they ran into, were completely different uh, after like the one after the the ones after the wall were completely different than the ones that they rode in practice. Um, can you relate to that at all uh, throughout your uh, your tenure? I know uh, the the track changes are, are always uh, something that happens in Supercross, uh, but uh, whoop section is a little bit a little bit more dangerous than maybe uh, changing up a jump face or something like that because uh, you guys uh, go in there with full commitment
2: yeah well when you go to when you go to practice the track's supposed to be similar obviously it's going to be prepped and smoother for the heat races um so yeah i thought that it, it wasn't the whoops after the wall that were different it was the ones after the finish line okay yeah. um practice or track walk the whoops were really rolled they weren't deep and steep well i guess um for the the heat races, they built them up and they built the second one up too, which was causing a lot of people to jump into them. They couldn't get their bikes set up on top of them. So and then when they're getting set up, that rear end was kicking, hitting the second one and it was dropping their front end. And you saw a lot of guys go over the bars in that, which I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. I mean, if you're going to build a track, you need to build it back to the way it was because that's the way the riders rode it. They don't get a parade lap in the heat yeah. race.
1: And if and you're so, going to change things, uh, give these kids yeah. a, a parade lap because that's huge. You could end someone's career that way.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think that was the smartest thing. And if they did, they should have warned the riders, hey, we changed the whoops, take it to the first lap going into them. They're a lot steeper and bigger. You know, Not that they were any bigger, I don't think. It was just they had them steeper. They weren't as rounded. So in practice, those guys could just go into them as fast as they could and they didn't have a problem.
1: So, um, before, we, uh, to, to kind of, uh, wrap up the, the Lano MX talk, where can some, when people find more information on, uh, on, on your training and, uh, whether it be, a, a, a youth rider, an adult rider, or, uh, maybe there's a professional rider that I don't know of that's listening to this right now wants to, to put your services into work.
2: Yeah. You guys can go to my website. It's com or lano com. You can see all my prices and, and stuff
1: like that perfect well uh once i make it down there i'm gonna uncrate uh, or uh, unload my 125 252 stroke and uh absolute mandatory lesson for at least one full week with with you my friend i i, I gotta schedule you right down
2: as long as you let me ride your 125 we're good
1: to go <laughs> deal deal i'll i'll bring <laughs> i'll bring the i've of that
2: thing and it's looking pretty trick
1: Yes, you, you bet, man, uh, and, uh, and o- only more trick as, as the days go on. Um, so, uh, moving on from from uh, the Lano MX stuff, which I'm super excited to see uh, you developing that and building it, and uh, to know that you eventually want to do a riding facility is unbelievable, but uh, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the Jesky Customs uh, two-stroke that you had an opportunity to ride. I believe that was uh, in December, or maybe a little in November. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not th- quite sure. But yeah,
2: go but, ahead. yeah they built uh, built pipes, built a um, a motor for that thing, and put a pipe and silencer. Showa did the suspension. Jesse Customs built the thing, which he's an absolute awesome mechanic. He was at Geico Honda when I was there. Yeah, um, probably one of the best mechanics out. And man, that bike was so fun. That was the first time I think I rode a two stroke, probably in four years. I think. And I had a lot of fun. That thing was a blast. The horsepower on it was good. Suspension was awesome. And uh yeah, I was very fortunate to be able to get the call to go ride that thing.
1: A peppy light two stroke like that, uh on a on a freshly groomed track. Uh it's just uh, uh putty in your hands when it when it comes to uh just tossing the thing around knowing that uh you you're not battling the stopwatch, just go twist it. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's what, and the two strokes is what I grew up racing. I grew up yeah. racing 125s and 250s, and I know how to ride one. And man, they're so fun. If I ever have to buy a bike again, which I will soon, uh, it'll be a 250 two stroke.
1: There we go. Actually, I had this conversation with uh, Steve Lamps, and He was he was asking uh, uh, Teddy or uh, Dakota Tedder uh, which he thought would be faster on in Supercross a. Uh, a like a race bike 250F or a a full works 250 two-stroke. And uh, I'd have to give the nod to the two-stroke as long as it's in the capable hands of someone that would know how to make it fly.
2: Yeah, that would that would
1: actually be a close call right there.
2: Um, I think you would probably have more of an advantage on a 250 two-stroke if yeah. they allowed it.
1: I, yeah. if, I, I wish all the manufacturers hadn't uh, completely gotten rid of the 250. I understand the 125, but uh, even the 125 has its application with younger kids coming off of 80s. I know myself, when I went from my 80 to my 125, like, it's just a uh, a juiced-up 80 with big wheels. Like You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's uh, – right. For a stock bike, anyway, and up here uh, in Canada, you don't do too much to your bikes to other than keep them stock. So uh, that was a good transition for me, especially over that Christmas season. I uh, I, I gained three inches, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, awesome, yeah. man.
2: I think I think they should allow the two fifties in there. I think it would give um, give the privateers a little bit more of an edge closer mm-hmm. to the factory guys. Yeah, the two fifties are just so expensive to build, or the two fifties four strokes. And, um, not everyone can spend $8,000 on a motor, you know, if you want a good motor, it's going to cost you a lot of money to build it. And then you got to rebuild it every 10 or 15 hours. So I think it would definitely bring the competition of the privateers and the factory guys
1: a little bit closer. I totally, totally agree. As far as uh, dollars spent, like you, 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 the, the dollars you need to spend to get a, a, a 252 stroke to do the same things uh, a, a 250F can do at that level is, uh, I think um, Mitch Payton was quoted as it's literally four times as much. So uh, imagine what those privateers would be able to do with uh, a few extra shekels, uh, whether that, spend that, that extra money on more riding time, more um, uh, just everything
2: yeah yeah it's expensive
1: plus now, two strokes I remember,
2: yeah I remember coming up as as an amateur, even the two strokes are expensive, and now like you said, four times more that's insane just for one bike you could have two or three stock bikes compared to one race bike so, yeah actually
1: that uh mitch's uh Mitch was uh, quoted i believe it was mXA they asked him what uh his uh the team budget going from one uh two strokes to four strokes literally uh t- Team budget times four, new budget. Wow! So, like, that's just that—that's that, insane. It to, is. to ride 250 Yeah, and that's hard on privateers because
2: most of them don't have a bunch of money.
1: No. Nope.
2: So they they got a, a little disadvantage right there.
1: And then they're they're pushing the the tolerances on stuff, so uh, stuff breaks and whatnot. But that's uh, um, well, that's that, that's a conversation that could go on forever. Um, with uh, Daytona coming up, two questions I had for you. One, uh, you're one of the few people I know of that have had the opportunity to ride uh, Daytona in the daytime on a 125 two-stroke. First of all, how was that?
2: Absolutely horrible. Awesome. My first supercar, <laughs> Yeah, it was bad. It was. I was. I was really embarrassed.
1: Was that 30 guys in the line? California.
2: I did. I think uh, maybe five six super crosses before that or five super crosses before that that was before when you weren't in the top 10 you could go race the east coast that's right and so they threw me in the east coast to go race and man i remember i jumped the triple in the rut there was a rut all the way up the triple face and i jumped it and twice i didn't even land on the landing i landed off the track on the side of the landing and i just felt like the biggest goon rider and that just shows even as a professional rider, how hard that track actually is.
1: Yeah, a, a guy who's uh, prided for having uh, unmatched skill on the bike, uh, getting uh, getting all out of sorts over uh, over a particular track. That's pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I think um, at the time, I didn't think it was good for me to go, but no. uh, it gave me some experience on the track, and I think I raced it at, um, two more times after that. I rode a 450 in 06, and then I was back there in 07.
1: Fair yeah, Um, so uh and also the other question I had about Daytona is uh two guys are are coming back to uh, to racing after uh honestly we lost three in the last main event. Um Nick Way and Josh Grant. First of all, who's going to do better and um which, which to which rider does uh Daytona kind of favor as far as uh, riding style goes?
2: Uh you know Nick he hasn't been racing. Uh well, I guess both of them haven't, but uh, Josh Grant, for sure. Um, Josh is a, a fabulous outdoor rider. He's had a lot of success, I believe, in Daytona. So yeah, I think he's really he looking forward once. to this race. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think he won so, it the year that him and Hanson uh, got together in the last lap.
2: Yep, yep, that's right. And so he's got he's good there. He's fast. Um, I think he's been riding. I think he's been training. So I would put him up there in that top seven, top ten position.
1: Wow! Right on. Well, that's that's a little tidbit for information for all any of those um, fantasy motocross players. Do you, do you play fantasy motocross at all?
2: I do. Uh, it's just with some of my family. Yeah, We've got harder. like seven or eight of us that do it. Um, and then I think Toyota Vescondido has their own that they do too. So uh, I don't get to do it every time. I always forget. So and that's tricky too. I think the one that we do, um, it's got this point system, and I don't know. I don't
1: really understand it, but it is fun. It is it is fun. I the only I think the only flawed thing in in fantasy motocross is it's not like fantasy football where like you have the opportunity in fantasy football that only you can only certain people can pick certain riders whereas everyone gets to pick everyone from from Supercross. So there's there's not a whole, like everyone kind of knows where everyone's supposed to finish roughly. So uh, it's it's tough to really like create much separation, especially when you have a bunch of people who know what they're talking about. But uh, yeah, I, st- exactly. I, I think it's still fun to uh, yeah. No,
2: get- it is. The one that I do is pretty hard because you can't pick the same riders the following weekend. Okay, So you have to pick completely new riders, and then you want to pick an underdog that's got a bunch of points that you think is going to get in the top ten. So mm-hmm. it's hard. Cool. I don't put a whole lot of time and effort into it and study it. So it's just all for fun and bragging rights. <laughs>
1: that, that that that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yes, it is um so be- before i let you go um as you like uh something that i kind of thought of uh during the day um because um uh, growing up there's so many riders that i would look to and, and see their-, their style on the bike whether it be like their the way they rode the bike or the the gear that they wore and how they wear it um and I- that always shaped how how i dressed myself or how i wanted to look on the bike. Uh, is there? Is there anyone that uh, had that effect on you growing up? Uh, and if so, who were they? Um, well, I used to look up to
2: David Bailey as a young kid, um, Ricky Johnson, Jeremy McGrath. So mainly when I turned pro, it probably been McGrath that I looked up to. I really loved watching him ride and he was very smooth too and, so I tried to I tried to mimic his technique a little bit and learn from him because he's such an awesome writer. And other than that, that's probably about it.
1: Fair enough. Now uh, then uh only a few years later you're uh you're featured in those videos busting out huge jumps over at Castillo's place and uh and doing <laughs> your thing. So uh um dreams can come true, I guess.
2: Yeah, they can. I mean, as a young kid, I remember I started riding at two and a half. And this goes for any little 50 rider out there. Um, I think it takes, that's all you want to do is become a professional motocross rider. And I remember I didn't, not that you can't do other sports, but for me, I didn't want to do anything else but ride my motorcycle after school. And, And it worked for me. And it takes a lot of hard work, takes some talent. And I think God's got to give you a talent to to be able to ride in this sport. And if He does, work hard, keep your head down, and and stay focused because it doesn't last long.
1: No doubt, yeah. Uh, like the I can't even imagine what the the average length of a of a professional career, but it's not nearly long enough. Um, uh, just released, I believe today was an article with uh, with Brandon Dunn and Transworld Motocross Magazine, uh, kind of the the rebirth of the Bills Pipes brand, a brand that uh, has embraced you in in uh, in, in recent uh, in recent months. Um, can you can you give us any uh, like uh, kind of insight on on your working with them and uh, how how like honestly for for me, I love working with Brandon over at Bills, and it's a great company to be uh, associated with.
2: Oh yeah, Brandon's awesome. He's the one that got me hooked up with those guys from the beginning um so i know they're putting a lot of work every time i go down there they're dynoing uh new exhaust and they just built me a new exhaust for my uh, 2016 kx450 and man did it open that bike up it's an awesome exhaust it's loud i love it it's a little bit louder than normal because i have a shorty exhaust but yes they uh, they're coming a long ways and i think um hopefully in the next couple of years uh they might maybe have their own race team i don't know
1: Absolutely love to see that. And I'd also love to see them start making Kawasaki stuff so I can put it on my bike, Brandon. Um but uh um but that that will come with time. But uh, Billy linovich it's always a pleasure to uh sit down with you, talk moto, and uh as always it has been. Um I w- wish you all the best and the rest of your time in uh in Florida. Um enjoy the pool, enjoy the races, enjoy bike week and uh and, and
2: have fun out there. Awesome, Brad. Thanks so much for having me on again. I want to get a shout-out all my fans. Thank you yeah. so much. You guys are the best. Um, Escondido Cycle Center, Toyota Escondido, Gentronics, Split Designs, those Pipes, Toilet Designs, Rad, Man- Rad Manufacturing, LKI Clothing, Garnet, uh, Factory Metalworks, Flow Motorsports, Showa, Dunlop, Maxima, uh, DT1, Icon Sports, everyone that's been behind me, thank you so much. You guys are a huge blessing and still allow me to do something that I love.
1: Right on, man. Well, uh, don't hang up just yet for podcast sake. We'll we'll cut it off right there. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.
0: up guys this is seven dude If you haven't got the hills yet, go to iTunes right now. Type in the Hill. No, that's that's not gonna work work because it's probably gonna come up the weekend. Just uh just type in it's seven minutes and most of it'll you'll find it. Time to hit the hills.